So the reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5 and it's verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good morning. Um, we're returning to our, our little study that we've, we've been doing um, so far in uh, Matthew's Gospel, the bit that we, we call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it, it stretches between chapter 5 and chapter 7, and, and it's called that because um, Jesus had been going around and, and doing some amazing things and some amazing teaching and been healing people and crowds had come together, uh, many, many, uh, hundreds, probably thousands of people. And, um, and, and so Jesus ascended this, this mountain, and he didn't do that to, to get away for a bit of chill time. That, that may have been part of it, but, but what he was doing was calling out from the crowd people to follow him, his disciples. So, so, so what he was doing was distinguishing, I suppose, those who were just there for the, for the miracles and the cool stuff, and that they, it certainly was cool. Who wouldn't want that, right? Um, but uh, Jesus was calling out from that group of people, those who were seriously uh, wanting to know more about him, that were going to give themselves to learning and, and, and following him. And, and so that's what, that's what this is all about. And so last week we saw um, the opening, I suppose, headlines for the whole thing and the, the section that we were singing about and, and uh, talking about briefly, the Beatitudes, these sort of eight statements, you know, uh, of what life together as Jesus' disciples should look like. Uh, and the values, I suppose, the kind of people that Jesus' disciples are when they're together. And, and so we're, we're, we're sort of uh, then developing that into the next um, little uh, passage that Marion's just read for us. Um, and and uh, we're looking at this, this idea of life together that changes the world. Uh, life together is the name of our series. It's really the emphasis here in the in these uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. What does life together look like? And life together, if we if we do it according to what Jesus teaches here, then it will change the world. It will change the world. And that is profound, that is powerful, that is a big claim. I understand that. And you might think to yourself, well, gosh, you know, if they've been disciples of Jesus for 2,000 years. Why isn't the world a better place? Why hasn't it changed even more? And there's a a good reason for that. We'll come to that later. Uh, But the idea is here that if we live like this, if we take this type of living out on mission, um, then it will change the world. And Jesus uses these two two themes, I suppose, these two, um, uh, I suppose, uh, everyday, ordinary elements a part of everyday life to explain the impact his disciples will have on the world, why they will change the world. Uh, and he uses salt and he uses light. Uh, and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll take those apart and we'll just think in, in, in terms of we are salt and we are light. Uh, and then we'll sort of end off by thinking where do we be salt and where do we shine light? You know, what's, what way does that happen? Because it is overwhelming, I, I, I grant you that. It can be anyway. So first of all, we are salt, okay? Jesus says, you can see, by the way, on your white sheet on the back, if you flip it over, you've got the Bible verses. Um, It's worth checking and making sure that I'm not making this stuff up. It's coming from the Bible, uh, therefore from Jesus. Um, We are salt. Jesus says to his disciples that he has gathered and gone up the hill and drawn out from the crowd. He says, you are the salt of the earth. 
That U is like underline, italic, bold. It's emphatic in the original Greek uh, from the Bible. You, you people, you my disciples, you standing in front of me, you lot, the plural, this group, you are my disciples and you are salt of the earth. All right? That's what he says. And, and, and um, right there, I suppose we have a bit of a problem, don't we? As, as 21st century people, often the first thing we think of when we think of salt is the stuff that you might sprinkle on your food or use in your cooking to flavor and to bring out the flavors that are there. And, and that might be part of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about you're the salt of the earth. Um, but, but, but for the first century hearers, the listeners to Jesus' teaching, that wouldn't be the immediate go-to when it comes to the role of salt. Um, for them, salt would have been used primarily as a preservative. Okay, something you would uh, use in the days, obviously, there was no refrigeration or no way of keeping uh, fresh food fresh, particularly things like meat, fish, that type of stuff. Um, salt would have been used to rub into the surface of the meat in order to, to, order to slow down the decay. All right, it's a very hot part of the world, very arid. Um, and, and so, therefore, they needed to find a way of, of preserving the meat, you know, or, or, or the fish uh, for a few days. Um, and that's what Jesus says is the effect you are to have on the earth. You are to be salt of the earth. You are to stop or slow the decay. Why, why, why is the earth in decay? Um, maybe we should ask that question of ourselves. Why is it that we need salt in the first place to stop the decay process? Why does Jesus say to his disciples, you're the, you're the stuff that's going to put the brakes on here? Um, in order to get to that, um, we need to understand something of the big picture uh, that, that's going on here. Um, uh, God, let's just, uh, this is the big picture. God created the world in the beginning and it was a place of truth and a place of beauty and a place of goodness. It was wonderful and it was a place where everything and everyone lived together in harmony. Everything was as it should be. The relationship between God and humanity was perfect. It was beautiful. The relationship between humanity, one and another, human beings, was brilliant, wonderful, unity. The relationship between human beings and the rest of the created order, again, was wonderful. It was balanced. It was beautiful. Everything working together in harmony. That's how it began. But then as we read in you know, Genesis 3 and spend the rest of the Bible reflecting on this, that was no longer the case because the first humans rebelled. They chose to listen to a lie about God and his goodness and his intentions. They listened to a lie, but not only listened to it, they acted it out. They, they followed the, the lie. And as such, when that introduced uh, a flaw into this perfect balance, they disrupted the harmony that was there, the goodness, the truth, the beauty, no longer those things were the dominant factor. Because of the initial rebellion of humankind, not truth but manipulation, not beauty but ugliness, not goodness but evil. That's how, it, that's how it crept in. That's where it came from and it impacted all of creation. It sent shockwaves out. You know, the seeds of, of, of corruption and brokenness uh, corrupted everything. Everything that humanity put its hands to carried the seeds of disorder and disunity and fracture and decay. And so that's why the earth is in decay. 
That's why we're eating ourselves up, because everything we put our hands to carries something of this streak. No longer harmony, but there's war. Instead of living for one another, we live for ourselves. Instead of what we can give, it's all about what we can get. And that just infects everything we turn our hands to. Everything. The good news is, by the way, that's just the first half of the story, and we shall return to that story later on. But when Jesus came bring, talking about the kingdom and bringing the kingdom and saying, my people are to be the salt of the earth, that's what he was referring to. That's what he was talking about. And so that decay, that inbuilt sort of decay and, and inward turning that we see, um, you are to be salt to that, says Jesus. You are to halt that process. You are to de- delay it or to stop it from get, getting worse as best you can. And so he sends his disciples out in his name, full of his spirit, to be the salt. You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. How do we do that? How how do we actually behave as salt? How are we salt to the earth? This this teaching comes hot on the heels, doesn't it, of what we were looking at last week, the Beatitudes. Uh, this list of eight, I suppose, propositions or eight uh, value statements um, that Jesus uh, laid out. You can go back and listen online if you want to catch up in a bit more detail. Uh, But he's saying, this is how my disciples are to live. And so the idea is that if we live the Beatitudes out, you will be salt to the earth. Yes, there's an individual role that you must play, which is going to be unique to you and your calling and your situation and all the rest of it. But the Beatitudes that we we saw last week characterize our lives together in community. And particularly the last four, there's sort of the first four which really deal with our relationship with God. And then the last four Beatitudes deal with our relationship with one another, uh, the horizontal emphasis. If we live that out, then you will be salt to the earth, says Jesus. Uh, For example, um, you know, uh, the first Beatitude in that second half, it talks about blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And so therefore, if you are going around being merciful, that that is alleviating the effects of sin and sorrow and suffering to other people, you are being salt. You you, you are anticipating the decay and you are doing something to offset that. You're being salt. Well, likewise, Jesus said, um, uh, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. And last week we saw that pure in heart uh, means means to have an undivided heart to, to one another. Uh, blessed are those people. So if you are going around uh, full of integrity, that you're not a hypocrite, that you don't say one thing to one person and one thing to another person that suits you, if you are full of integrity and sincerity, then you are being salt to the earth. You will be salt. Likewise, blessed are the peacemakers. If you are committed to advancing peace, to diffusing disunity, to resisting gossip and slander, to absorbing the hurt and cutting it off, then you are salt to the earth, and so on. And it it carries on and on and on. This is how we are salt to the earth. This is how we arrest the decay. Uh, There is so much more, though, of course. Uh, Yes, the Beatitudes, but that's just the beginning. Uh, Salt means being active against any form of evil or sin that we see or hear about. Uh, And when we hear of those things, we, we, we move against them. We, we restrain them uh, uh, with, with whatever tools that we have available to us. Let's just take a few popular examples here, things that, really, uh, you know, that we need to sit up and listen about. Uh, let's take the example of abortion. We need to speak out against the evil of abortion. 
Yes, we do it thoughtfully. Yes, we do it lovingly. But we have to be clear that it is a great evil. We are deliberately ending the life of, of, of somebody. Not to mention the untold story of the deep trauma that it causes to women. That's the story you don't hear about. And you just need to go and speak. Don't take it from me. You need to go and speak to those who deal with the aftercare um, of women who are in that really unfortunate situation to realize it's an evil and we need to speak against it. We need to be salt. Being salt might mean acting against poverty in all of its forms, the evil and the structures and the systemic uh, reasons, tackling the cause, tackling the roots, whether it's homelessness, whether it's addictions, whether it's social breakdown. Again, it's an evil that we need to speak to, speak out against. Do something. Blessed are the merciful. So many more examples. They're just two, right? Uh, just two. We're guided by God's word, right? And, and what he says is evil, we, we, we take to be evil. Uh, you know, what he says is wrong, we take to be wrong, and we, and we say that's wrong. There's, there's a song that we sing, we used to sing a few years ago anyway, break my heart for what breaks yours, it says. That's what this is about. It's about being salt. So if we live life together, a life that changes the world, we're salt to the earth arresting the decay. Before we move on to light, I just want to make some three, three observations about salt. Um, that sounds like a really exciting sermon, doesn't it? Three observations about salt. Um, and and, and it just, you know what? It feels stupid to actually say some of these things, but I think I need to point them out. We need to point them out to one another. Um, first observation about salt. Hopefully it stands to reason. It must be in contact with the earth in order for it to have its effect. Okay? You've got to rub salt into the Meat in order for it to arrest the decay. In other words, it can't be separate. It can't remain in the salt cellar or in the bag of salt. It has to be sprinkled and rubbed on. Christians, followers of Jesus, cannot withdraw from the world. They are to be salt to the world. They cannot live aloof and detached. This is not an option that the followers of Jesus can have. They must be engaged with the world in order to be salt to the earth. We can't say to ourselves, like, it's, point, it's pointless engaging with them out there. The earth is going to hell. Jesus is coming back again. Let's just sign off. That attitude is, is foreign to Jesus' teaching. You are to be salt of the earth. You are salt of the earth. You cannot sit back and do nothing and remain a disciple of Jesus. It's just, it, it doesn't work. You can't do that. So first observation about salt, it must remain in contact with the earth for its effects to be felt. You with me? Yeah. Second observation about salt. Salt, number two, salt is necessary, but the goal is not to turn everything into a mountain of salt. Salt is necessary, but our goal is not to turn everything into a mountain of salt. Okay, it sort of balances the first point, I think. If you go to the, what is commonly described as the Holy Lands, you know, the, the area that Jesus uh, lived and moved around, sort of area of modern-day Israel and, and, and surrounding states, there's a place there called the Dead Sea. And uh, maybe if you've ever traveled out there, you may have seen it, you may see pictures of it. It's, it's the Dead Sea, and it's so cool because it is so salty. That nothing, nothing is alive in it. Right? No fish, no, no grass, no nothing like that. No seaweed. It's dead. It stinks. There's so much salt. Salt is there to restrain or to halt evil. Yes, amen. 
But as Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation of this section, he says, you are the salt of the earth to bring out the God flavors. I love that. If the first point you must be in contact with the earth is to warn us against withdrawal from the earth, the second point, we're not turning everything into a pile of salt, should warn us against domination. Okay, seeing problems everywhere. Our job is not to rub out everything and start from scratch. We are not called to recreate stuff from the ground up. The world, yes, is not totally good, therefore we need to be salt, but it's not totally bad that we need to make everything salt. The imprint of God is still on creation. The goodness of God is still visible to us through, through stuff out there. It is visible to us when we look around the room and we see the image of God in each human being. Yes, broken. Yes, messed up. But God is not absent. God's grace is not absent from us. And therefore, our role as salt is not to just rub it out and start again with our own kingdom, but it is to allow the good to flourish, to bring out the God flavors. Okay, salt is necessary, but we're not talking about a mountain of salt. Third and final observation. That sounds stupid. Salt is salty. Uh, that's how it works. Salt works by being salt. That sounds ridiculous. Um, uh, um, if, 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 if salt becomes uh, unsalty, if it loses its taste, if it loses its properties, it, it, is, it is pointless, isn't it? It is rubbish. It, it is useless. Um, Jesus says, doesn't he, in, in verse 13, if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on the people's feet. We've already been thinking that disciples, because they're disciples, are salty. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are salt of the earth. There's no getting away from it. There is no such thing as unsalty salt. In the same way, there's no such thing as unwet water or airless wind. It just doesn't stand up. It's impossible. But what does Jesus then mean if the salt has lost its saltiness? You know, how can it be restored? Is it possible for disciples to at one point be salt and then sort of lose their saltiness as, as they go on? Um, well, again, a bit of understanding in the context of, of, of how this all worked would be helpful here. Um, salt, you see, in those days was not manufactured in the way that it would be today. It, it's not uh, refined. Um, back in, in Bible times, salt was collected from large, flat, arid areas uh, where the sun had evaporated water. Um, and what remained was, was gathered together. And that was referred to as, as salt. But as you can probably guess, that, that salt quote, unquote, um, was, was full of impurities. Okay, there are other um, compounds in there, other, other um, uh, chemicals, white-looking stuff. You assume it's salt. It looks like salt. It gathers up. You call it salt because there's salt in there. But there's other stuff that needs to be removed. That stuff is not salt. It is tasteless. It is fake salt. just happened to be collected up at the same time. That's unsalty salt. It's not real salt at all that has no effect on the meat you're trying to preserve. No effect on the world. Likewise, it is possible that there are those who call themselves Christians or disciples of Jesus, but have no effect on the world around them whatsoever. 
These are people who are quite happy on one level to accept the label of a Christian, but they're basically the same as everybody else outside the church, let's just say. They, they live just as everybody else does. They, they talk just as everybody else does. They do what everybody else does. They behave just like everybody else does. Those are not disciples of Jesus. Salt is salty. What that is, is unsalty salt. It, it, it's rubbish. They're not real salt. They're not real disciples. They're inert. They're, they're pointless. Maybe even harmful. So let's be honest with ourselves. Let's maybe ask. Am I salty? How salty am I? Am I the real deal? If I accept the, the term Christian or, or, or disciple of Jesus or whatever you want to, am I the real deal? Do I actually belong to him or am I more associated with the crowds, the sort of interested but from afar? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Has my heart been switched on by what he has done for me? Or am I basically the same as everybody else? Salt is salty. You are the salt of the earth. Second picture metaphor that Jesus gives us, he says in verse 14, again to his disciples, bold, underlined, italic, you are the light of the world. Again, you, my people, all of you together, this is the function that you will have on the world. Yes, you're salt, but here you're light. And again, Jesus just picks stuff that we know intuitively to be correct, right? We know how salt works. We know what light looks like. We know the impact the light has. And Jesus says, let's learn from that. He says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. You are the light of the world. You cannot stop being light. It just comes out of you. I, I live just a few roads along here. And we're sort of on the, I suppose, we're, we're in East, East Belfast, you know. And I can go out the back of my house um, sometimes at three in the morning, if, if or, yeah, should, should I wish to, I never do, but, um, you know, late at night anyway, when you'd expect it to be dark, and I can just look over here in this direction, sort of uh, westwards, and I just see this orange light, it doesn't matter what time of, you know, uh, the season it is, this orange glow, what is that glow? It's, it's, it's the lights of the city, isn't it? It's, it's Belfast, lit up. Okay, it's not on a hill, but it's kind of in a bowl. In fact, if you go, I don't know if you've ever gone down a road called Rocky Road. Have you ever gone down that road? Don't go down it when it's, when it's um, icy or snowy because it, it can be, you know, pretty, pretty dodgy. But if you go down that road there and you just sort of kind of off the back of, you know, where Lagan College is and that road down, down there. And you can sort of go down the Rocky Road. It's really steep. But when you just drive over the edge, you see almost like the whole city of Belfast right, right, right below you. And particularly when you go at night. Um, it, it's just amazing. The entire city is lit up. And that's just what cities do. You can't hide it. You are the light of the world, says Jesus. Not only can you not hide it, but he goes on to say you shouldn't try to hide it. In verse 15, he says, look, you know this to be true. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. And, and so that it gives light to all the people in the house. He says, it's not, you can't hide it, and you shouldn't hide it. You give light to all, he says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. 
We know, don't we, that light illuminates, it reveals. You know, you walk into a dark room, the first thing you probably do is put the light on so you can see where you're going, you don't want to trip, trip over anything. The Bible uses this idea, this picture of light, and it gives us the, the picture of the goodness of God. He's light. God is a light. You know, God is light, says uh, the Apostle John. In him there is no darkness at all. He, he is good. He is light. He is pure. Um, he, he is full of truth. It's his word. He speaks truth. He speaks light. God is light. And we're called to live in the light. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But yet here he is saying, my people will carry my light into the world. Okay, they will shine in the darkness. They'll light up. If salt is kind of, we could consider maybe a negative thing in the sense that it's halting or restraining evil, light is the positive thing. Light is the bringing of goodness into the darkness. John Stott, uh, the Bible commentator and writer, said about this passage, it's one thing to stop the spread of evil. It is another thing to promote the spread of truth and beauty and goodness. The two are not the same, and yet we are called to both as disciples of Jesus. And right now, in this moment, the world needs you to bring the light to it. It needs you to do light. How do we do light? How do we, how do we bring truth and beauty and goodness? The answer that we're given in scripture is in word and with deed, in word and with works. How do we do it? In word and with works. First of all, in words. Uh, the Bible says, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Yeah? God's uh, truth is light. His word is light. And for us to be light, at the very least, this means telling God's truth, telling God's word. It means telling the gospel. Do you remember the big picture that we, we, we started by thinking about in the, in the last section? That God created uh, the, the, the known universe with truth and beauty and goodness, but the rebellion of the first people, their sin, brought lies, it brought ugliness, it brought evil. That's why we need to be salt. Remember that? But the second half, this is the good news, is still to be told. Jesus came. God instituted the full restoration plan through his son, through the king, through Jesus. And here's the gospel. Here is the good news. That Jesus became one of us to deal with our sin, stepped into our darkness. He dealt with our mess and our sin and our corruption. He absorbed the hurt by taking all that stuff on himself, went to the cross, died for us. He rose in victory. And when he did that, he flung wide the doors of the kingdom of God and through faith and trust in Jesus, we get to come in through no works of our own, all on him. That's the gospel. And yet there's more to come because now as people who are free and, and filled and, and part of the kingdom of God, now we can anticipate with hope in our hearts the completion of all that God is doing in the new heavens and the new earth. In the words of the hobbit Sam in The Return of the King, you know, by, by Tolkien, he said there's a moment when everything sad is going to come untrue. That is our hope. That's what God is doing. And so sharing this story 
how everything sad is going to come untrue, and sharing your story about how that story has impacted your life, that's light. That is light. That's what the dark world around us needs to hear. That's what we do when we come together on a Sunday morning. We, we share the light. We rehearse the story. That's what we do when we, we have life together. It's, it's light. When we tell his word, when we sing his word, when we memorize his word, when we grapple with his word in community groups, on, on, on our own, whatever way that looks, that's light into the world. We do it in words, and secondly, we do it with deed. He says, you know, verse 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's your good works that they see. Yes, you want to tell them about the motivation and the story and what Jesus has done, absolutely. But often it's the good works that they will see first. It's your character at work that they will see first. It's what you do to help your neighbor and the poor that they will see first. It's unspecified about what those good works are. Um, and I think that's on, it, it can be understood as any practical steps that you will do, or we as a church will do, that reflect the light, the goodness, the truth, and the beauty of God to the darkness. And that is broad. There, there, we have options, amen, to be creative. Um, at the very least, we can be merciful. If we understand that as alleviating hardship and suffering, we can be merciful as a people. We've seen that already. Serving our neighbors, acts of kindness, doesn't have to be flashed, doesn't need a ministry title. You, that, that may be something we can do as a church. But, but, but if, you, if you imagine all of us in this room, if we choose to do one act of kindness or, or one good work in a quiet, silent way, we could do hundreds between just us. We could do hundreds of good works to glorify our Father every month. As a whole church, we can do it, of course, can't we? We can, we can do what they call mercy ministry. We can, we can gather our resources together. We can serve our local areas. We can serve Clarewoods. It can be light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. But finally, I just want to touch on perhaps something a bit more practical. Where, where do we do it? Maybe you find it stirring. Maybe you find it um, provoking, uh, even unnerving. Be salt and light. You are salt and light. But where do we do it? Where do we start? Um, because it can be very overwhelming. Just, just go and be salt. Um, so let's, let's try and break it down a little bit. And I think this might help uh, as individuals to, to respond uh, and, and to see what opportunities you have. Um, we, we can consider the world as made up uh, of various realms or spheres. Okay? Various um, institutions that are necessary for society to run. Okay? Bear with me. Each institution has its own set of rules, its own members, its own purposes, but each institution needs salt and needs light. And that's where you come in. Okay, so what do, what do I mean? What are these spheres, these realms within our, our world, within our society? Well, the first sphere that we can think of, I suppose, um, is probably one of the most basic of all, it is the family. Your family, it needs salt and light. It needs you to be salt and light in your family. That's going to look different for all of us because there's different configurations, different experiences, small, big, broken, you know, 
carbon cookie cutout, whatever you want to call it, just, just looks great. But it needs you to be salt and light. And, and especially if you are the only Christian or one of a few and everybody else is not, not a believer in Jesus. Your family needs you to be salt and light, okay? So you think about being a peacemaker. How might that look in your family to advocate and to advance towards peace? Blessed are the merciful. What would it look like to, to be merciful, to, to, to overcome harm with good? What would it look like to speak out against wrong things? What would it look like to bring light? If you start thinking like that, then you can start to see how you can be salt and light in your own environment, in your own family. Another sphere that we can think of, the sphere of politics. Politics, the political sphere, needs salt and light. Wow. It needs salt and light. Can you imagine what it might be like if those who are pure in heart, that is not two-faced, full of integrity, not hypocrites, go into politics, influence politics somehow or other? Can you imagine if blessed are the peacemakers? Can you imagine what our political structures may look like if they're full of salt and light and people committed? Whether you want a united Ireland or a united kingdom, whether you're a socialist, a conservative, or a liberal, whatever it is, if you are pure in heart and a peacemaker and full of integrity, you will be salt and light in that place. And that can apply to you whether you're a simple voter, whether you're an activist, whether you're even an insider, a politician, or, or somebody in the system. Salt and light. Okay, family, politics, the creative arts, another sphere, storytelling through arts. You know, that's often the, the, the goal, isn't it? To, to get a message across, whether it's the visual arts, such as painting and, you know, uh, creating something um, uh, visual, whether it's acting, dance, drama, music, moving image. We need salt and light in that environment. Whether you're an artist or a commentator or just someone who sort of consumes art, you know, is, is, is an experiencer of art, what are your opportunities? How can you be salt and light in there? A few others, I'll just throw these out. We don't need to go into too, too many details. Another sphere, law and order, the judicial system, the policing system. We need salt and light in those things to bring truth and justice and honor and goodness in the media whether it's TV, radio, news outlets, or through social media, YouTubers, influencers, whatever it is. We need salt and light. How do you be salt and light in that environment? In the workplace, whether you're in education, or healthcare, or business, or IT, if you're an artisan, or if you're a student, how do you be salt and light in your environment? The point of all this, and all these spheres, and the way that you can work out salt and light, is that they are all part of God's world, and we are called to be salt and light into all of them. And yet I hope that maybe it's starting to become clearer for us that it will look different for each person sat in here, depending on your circumstances, or your calling, or your access. I'm not going to be able to speak into Hollywood, for example. No one's going to listen to me there. But someone who's a follower of Jesus, who's a filmmaker, who ends up there, that's how you be salt and light, so forth. But together as a whole, together as God's people, we engage, we are salt, and we are light in that environment. Let's just draw things to a close then. You are salt, you are light, if you are a disciple of Jesus. So think as we come to a close, where does God have you now? 
What spheres are you revolving in? It'll be several, most likely. What can you do for him now to be salt and light? Tomorrow, when you go to work, what does that look like? What gifts has he given you? What abilities has he given you? What openings has he given you to be salt and light into these various spheres? Maybe you need to change spheres. (laughs) Maybe you didn't realize that's what's going on and you revolve in these different circles. Don't, Don't compare with others because what their calling is and their opportunities will be different to yours. You do what God has called you to do. So where is he sending you now? What, what, what fresh avenues might he be opening up for you to be salt and light? Lord Jesus, guide us. Bring us to the truth. Amen. Let's pray.